You don't believe. Okay, um, beans on toast, Diet Coke, uh, ketamine, <laughs> cat food, 38 bus. Yep. All, all classics. <laughs> Should we go? I've said all the best things I've got to say so far. Hi. <laughs> Hi, the red light on. We, um... We're always recording. It never stops. Yep. Like, that's a bit like me. <laughs> Q presents the making of. That's not my proper Welsh. Q presents the making of. Hello, I'm Ted Kessler, and welcome to Q presents the making of. This is a podcast brought to you by the makers of Q Magazine, the world's greatest music magazine. I mean, I would say that because I'm the editor of Q Magazine, but I really do believe it. Anyway, like Q Magazine, this pod is dedicated to the close inspection of pop stars, musicians and songwriters. We like to rake through their lives and work. Who are they? Where does their music come from? What are they all really about? Let's find out. My guest this week is the mighty Green Gartside of Scritti Politi. A singer and songwriter of Scritti, Green revolutionised his musical world multiple times. In doing so, he was one of the key voices in the 80s, and he remains a vital, very intermittent force today. Scritti Pility were a scratchy punk group in the late 70s. Then, they were a soul, pop, reggae, whatever band in 1982, when they released their classic first album, Songs to Remember. Then after that, they became an ultra-slick pop machine in another new guise, and they had hits on both sides of the Atlantic with songs like Woodbees, Absolute, Perfect Way, and many, many others. You know all those songs. Green has one of the great pop voices. As soon as you hear him sing, you know it's Green Gartsight. <laughs> there be another version of Scritti 2, a rap rock version in 1999 and a more thoughtful version in 2006. But I don't want to waste all our time together reading his biography because this is such a rare treat. So instead, let's just say hello to Green. Green, how are you? Uh, really uh, on balance. Very good. What? How are you, Ted? I'm okay. No, okay. I'm trying not to laugh too much. All right. <laughs> okay. Look, you've got a ring. He's got a ring. Oh, I, have, I have dozens of these. Right. I've always kept um, books and notes since, you know, since... From time, as they say. Right. And uh, some of them were quite uh, fetishised. You know, I used to keep note. I can remember doing... Um, I'll tell you this later. Tell me now. I'll tell you now. We're, um, we're, OK, we're, well, there were some yeah. notes that I used to keep in the early scritty days about, um, you know, theorising what we thought we were doing and uh, uh, couched in, you know... I don't know, any terms I could drag from Gramsci or Wittgenstein or the continental tradition or, you know, you're both laughing at me. Smiling at me is the better word. Smiling, yeah, no, warmly, encouraging. So, uh, which is a tradition I got really from, um, you know, art school, doing fine art when I did, you know, and and conceptual art was the really important thing to me Mm. then, which uh, kind of demanded of you that you pay close analysis to your practice. Mm. Okay, so um, I used to do that about... um, 
music and everything we did and uh, struggled with it. And I kept these notebooks, which I would occasionally refer to or take to interviews with the enemy back in the day to make sure I got my, you know, bit of But look. you'd come to the, it, with the, the journalists, say, in the pub with the ring folder? Yeah. Of- yeah, not infrequently. And then after you've done it a couple of times, you know, you'd almost be asked, and don't forget to bring the notebooks with you because, I don't know, they were like... <laughs> Do they re- it becomes your thing yeah your gimmick. Became my thing and He's then the uh, you know even fairly recently when uh, I had the, uh, the 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 great privilege to be made um, what was I made an honorary doctorate or something at Goldsmiths as a result of going there to talk about mm. you know um, pop punk politics whatever it is I'm supposed to be well known for talking about um, they, you know, the first thing is, have you got any of the notebooks with you? You know, because they were, um, they'd, in a tiny little way, achieved some kind of notoriety. And that, uh, I think that meeting at Goldsmiths uh, led to a book that came, came out last year right. with um, a chap I know called Mark Fisher. Do you okay. know Mark Fisher? I've heard of Mark Fisher, yes. Yeah, who um, was a wonderful, he has, used to have a, uh, uh, um, a website and maybe a blog called K-Punk. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is what happened last time I met you. Witted I, I on incontinently of... for about 90 minutes. <laughs> and towards the end, I, 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 asked could see, I could see you looking out the window. And, you know, you you, were slightly, you had a little bit of dribble in your mouth and you slightly glazed over. I'm joking. It wasn't like that. I was like just that. thinking about when we were going to get that Guinness. I know, I know. Guinness, and it was all. funny. I went for... A, that's, yeah, I do talk. Unless you stop me, I will talk uh, too much. And uh, I went for a pee. And I came... <laughs> while we were doing, yeah. doing talking last time... Mm. And I came back, I remember, and I said, so what was the question? And you said, I haven't asked you a question yet. <laughs> and he said, that was about 90 minutes in. Yeah. So do sh- I will, I'll stop now. But yes, I've got a notebook with me. Just a bit of digression here. Yeah. I yeah. interviewed Doves yesterday. and you, oh, you yeah. Know Doves. Yeah. Jimmy from Doves, you know how he spends his days? No. When he's not being in yeah. Doves. He makes beats up at home. He sits does in his he? studio, does exactly what he ah. It's funny. And I told him that you did it too. And yeah. he was like, wow, tell me what the sites are he visits. I told him the sites and okay. he's written them down. Okay. You know. Who'd have thought? Maybe well, um, perhaps we should have a, you know... Beat-off. A beat-off. Well, that sounds <laughs> no. a bit wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> no. Yeah. There <laughs> were some boys at school that used to do that. Yeah. He used to go into the woods. And <laughs> I never went with them. Good. I'm glad. Going. How's your day been so far? Thus what have you been up to? I didn't sleep well last night. I was listening to um, true crime podcasts. And um, what's really annoying was um, my wife had re... I have a little media pad. Mm. made by Huawei and the Huawei um, pad and it's you know what I don't know what my wife did to it but now which you're supposed to be able to listen to you know subsequent ep- in the first episode they find the body in the mud oh, right. you know that kind yeah, of yeah. thing and it's always in North America Canada somewhere and they talk you through that and in the next one you know there's a bit of DNA evidence and these see, see me through the night normally I drift off around about halfway through episode two or three but um, since my wife fiddled with my um media tablet it jumps straight from the whatever episode i'm listening to to the latest little update do you right. know what i mean yeah and there and oh. so it's ruined so anyway i couldn't sleep i spent uh, you know it's unusually for me i spent the whole night tossing and turning and not really getting to the bottom of who the bodies in the barrels were do you think you're slightly nervous about coming here to yeah. this podcast i'm no, i'm always nervous uh, candidly about um meeting people and talking to people i've always either been you know uh, um, anxious or bored all my life default things mm. you know boredom and anxiety mm. and uh the anxiety is really at various points in my life got way out of control and uh recently um a kind of social 
anxiety has re-emerged, which is um, a pain. But seeing as it's you, Ted, oh, I, was, um, I was really happy to come back and <laughs> having got most of the dread of meeting you out the way last time we met, I was, uh, you know, I was okay to um, to reappear. Oh, that's nice. And the say. idea of a cute podcast. Wow. That's great. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't, I mean, I was looking at through some of the people you've worked with. So yeah. Where, so when you met Miles Davis the first time, oh, for example, we, look, yeah. I'm just going to say, All right. what was your social anxiety like on that level? Like when you, like Miles Davis? Not or, bad in those days. Really? It You know, it kind of comes and goes. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think, who was I most nervous about meeting? Kylie? I, I did some stuff for Kylie. That was quite scary for some reason. <laughs> uh, maybe was she the scariest? I don't know. Kylie? More than... Maybe Ma- more than Miles. Yeah. Roger Troutman. Uh, yeah, Roger Troutman. Roger quite Troutman scary. was... Uh, no, he, maybe. I can't remember how, you know, how uh, you're asking me to re- revisit fear, which, yeah. is, which is very cruel of you. you know. Sorry, but, okay. uh, so, yeah, I guess I've been pretty anxious when I've had to meet... <laughs> any of them i don't yeah yeah no it really is quite i just did some stuff last year with everything is recorded and yeah. uh you know there's a whole bunch of people involved in that project people from new york and cuba and um peckham i don't know where they're from you know but a whole bunch of people and there's a to be the more the, the more people that you have to you know meet and hang with the more scary it gets so that was a pretty scary project for me to be involved with but i did survive and managed to make a good uh, a few good pals like who um ben the bass player okay it's fantastic what a hi ben he'll be <laughs> listening i know he's um he's currently working on the new frank ocean album but i'm not supposed to tell okay. you about that really okay what's the scoop so but, but st- i was at i was with ben the night before last at uh was it night before last maybe it was last week I really have no conception of time, which is one of the reasons why I only make an album every 13 years. Maybe it was last night. I went to see Shirley Collins at the Roundhouse, and Ben, the lovely Ben, bass, ben the bass player, was in the audience. And afterwards, me and um, Alexis from Hot Chip and Ben got um, taken to meet Shirley. And I've loved Shirley Collins since I was, you know, in my uh, probably late teens, first time I really got into her. And uh, it was fantastic, exciting, and the three of us were, you know chuffed her little mint balls to be in her present and presence yeah. in her present and she was lovely to us and uh, oh. so that's well that's good good gig i don't want to make you revisit more misery no more fear but do shut me up please but let's ask me some questions let's ask you about school school or the, mu- the music you into at school when did music school. first enter green guts music was immensely important to me right from the very beginning i was born in 1955 in cardiff in south wales in a part of Cardiff called Adams Down. Right. Um, uh, where the streets are either all named after, as far as I recall, minerals like Tin Street and Gold Street. I'll be getting this wrong now and people from Cardiff will be very angry yeah. at me. And, and Magnesium Street. <laughs> or, honestly, I think we could, someone could look this up now while we're talking. Uh, or they're named after, you know, heavenly bodies. Pluto Street. And, and you wonder what was happening at, at, at County Hall. Or I did wonder, you know, when I was the what, what who would sit around thinking these these are good names? Yeah. Let's have some names for these streets now, boys. What do you think? <laughs> How about uh, Tin Street? I vote for Tin Street. <laughs> and um, so uh, yeah, but then I, um, you know, peripatetic childhood, family not, mum and dad not entirely happy together, 
about once a year. I think they would think that uh, it was uh, either time to split up or start again the relationship. And if they wanted to start again for some reason, we had to move house, which is really annoying. Yeah, yeah. So I got dragged around South Wales quite a lot from various schools. My first infant school was a Welsh-speaking school. And uh, the only memories I have of that are the, are the um, I, I seem to remember the, the Welsh for a light switch I always thought was bottom, <laughs> which, but it finally is button, I think. Right. And, uh, and I, 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 at that school, I also was, um, had to play one of the three wise men in the, uh, and play a trumpet. And uh, I was blacked up to be <gasps> the black three white man, three wise man, three wise, the wisest. The wise man. And uh, wow. blacked up with, um, uh, I'm going to stop in a minute. Blacked up with uh, gravy browning. Oh no! Yeah, and I had my mother had a patchwork quilt, and my un- my uncle was a trumpet player who was into Miles Davis, and that comes around in a bit. And he lent me his trumpet for this performance. Anyway, uh, so a school was not entirely happy, peripatetic, and the the thing that gave me sucker and strength was the music of the Beatles, and right. I was absolutely devoted to the Beatles, overwhelmed by the Beatles, and utterly enthralled to them. Uh, uh, and um, I can see you gesturing. All I'm saying is that the man you've asked to get, you've asked the man oh, the to bring man you beer. Oh, the beer man, the beer fairy. That's it, right. He's looking <laughs> shall, at, we all, shall we all say... Should we pause for beer? Come in, beer fairy. I like... Uh, mistakes. There we go. Cheers. Thanks, Jamie. Oh, you got quite a lot there, considering... Because it is for a 35 minute podcast or whatever it is. I'll just pour a beer on my trousers and my easel. There isn't beer next to the desk, is there? No, there isn't. I'll move that beer. (laughs) So the Beatles. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, no, we can go back to the Beatles. Yeah, excellent. So, okay, yeah. Mass, I mean, my whole life, uh, really, for want of anything else, in a slightly benighted South Wales at the time, South Wales, 1950s early 60s mm. seemed like um culturally it seemed like there was nothing going on in uh, we moved from cardiff to um after we'd been to ustrath munich and bridgend and many other places mm. i won't bore you with we ended up in a place called cumbran which is a new town built you know post-war consensus let's build some homes and jobs for people and uh but nothing nothing there culturally i mean there was nothing there there was nowhere to go to see gigs I don't mm. even remember that Cumbran had a cinema. There was no, uh, musically particularly, nothing happening uh, that I could tell in South Wales at the time. There were no bands playing. So this was right through my childhood and teens. Absolutely nothing going on. There were no bands at that time, I remember. There were bands coming from Liverpool, obviously Manchester, London, everywhere else. I, I can't think of a band, you know, in my youth coming out of... Uh, there was Amen Corner and there yeah. was Man. I think they were the only two, possibly. Shaking Stevens at a at, yeah. a, at a push. No, I, I love Shaky. And Sir Tom. But uh, nothing going on. And uh, why am I telling you that? Oh, yeah. Because of was, music. Yeah, it was culturally not, nothing really happening. You know, working class Tory household, no books in the house. Nothing. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so the music of the Beatles and... So how did uh, it get in seep into you, though? How did the music... What? Well, how did you tune into it? Through the radio. <laughs> we, had a, we could afford a radio. Look, it was a post-war consensus. Everybody had a job and uh, and there was housing. And, and I actually think the post-war consensus was a very important thing and a kind of 
you know, unbelievably a, a high point that the fact that there was money spent then on housing and education and health and stuff, everything that I benefited from enormously. And uh, so anyway, I get to hear the Beatles on the radio and see them on television and they become, you know, uh, just hugely important to me. In fact, I can I can uh, take the time, if you don't mind, to read a quote. Please do. Uh, from uh, Timothy Leary oh, about the Beatles. Uh, and uh, he... he it's one of my favourite quotes. Timothy Le Leary wrote that, um, I declare that the Beatles are mutants, uh, prototypes of evolutionary agents sent by God with a mysterious power to create a new species, a young race of laughing free men. They are the wisest, holiest, most effective avatars the human race has ever produced. And he wrote that in mid-60s. And at, when I was eight years old, that's how I felt about the Beatles. I really did. Mm. I mean, I was absolutely uh, obsessed with them. And I was obsessed about what I understood about them and what I didn't understand about them. You know, it was only three years after Love Me Do that, you know, they were singing about stuff from the Egyptian Book of the Dead and they were with the Maharishi, yeah. you know, and they were singing stuff influenced by Timothy Leary. And, and as eight-year-old devotee, I'm like, what? what is this? This is so important. This is more important than anything else that's happening in in a new town in South Wales. And uh, and they were kind of, you know, to be a bit of a... I was going to use a bad word, a bit of an idiot. They were kind of Gramscian intellectuals. They were people, they were, they were young men that, that, you know, that asked questions, yeah. I thought. And it was because of, because of uh, uh, them, in the long term, they, they led me to bookshops and ideas and politics and everything else. I'm firmly convinced that that almost everything I've done, you know, has been was started by the Beatles, and they also, um, you know, when you when the next single didn't sound anything like the single before, that's quite a big deal to a young man who's obsessed yeah. with them. You think, well, well, why is that? What is that? You know, and uh, so they gave me an appetite for ideas. Uh, they they challenge. They, they were the only thing in my life that could challenge the kind of. That uh, working class Tory assumptions around me didn't come from school, didn't come from neighbourhood, didn't come from books, didn't come from the movies. Never went to the movies. Didn't come from television. Came from the Beatles. Mm. Everything came from the Beatles, mm. and 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 the music that uh, you know <clears throat> they led me on to, and uh, which would have been uh, you know then I guess the next thing if we're talking about school in Wales would have been listening to John Peel, which right. is the other great you know, revolutionary influence. The thing that brought, you know, with the Beatles and Peel, that brought the ideas of the counterculture into the, you know, oddly little privileged <coughs> post-war consensus thing that we had going on at the time. So I'm already, I'm like, obsessed with um, popular music, okay? It's the, uh, the exclusion of almost everything else. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm reading The Enemy from about the age eight, and, uh, Which the is first... ludicrous. That's so young. I don't. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I got my uncle bought me a, a record player for my eighth birthday, and he gave me um, a guitar. He he was he grew up in Cardiff as well. He was a jazz trumpeter. He grew up being influenced by Miles and people like that. And he um, effectively lost the sight of one eye or, or the use of his eye, and so he couldn't play the trumpet anymore because his you know due to a botched operation. If he if he built up the pressure in his face to blow a trumpet. Oh, I'm a bit vague about this. So uh, he went to live illegally in America and uh, 
became both a, a Marxist and a Jehovah's Witness and um, a very interesting fellow. Wow. Yeah. He okay. is an interesting guy. He, did he bought you the? He bought me the though. Gramophone. He was he brought he bought me some early records and a gramophone and my first Spanish guitar. Hey, you know he he gave me a, a a cornet, a small trumpet too, but I couldn't really. I mean, you know, none of the Beatles played a cornet, so I was not terribly impressed with that. <laughs> but um, yeah. Anyway, so and then uh, so uh, obsessed with John Peel and um, living in that you know benighted part of South Wales. And I finally had enough money to buy my first uh, record, Pocket Money, which was a, an island sampler called Nice Enough to Eat. Do you know? Do you know about I it? I do not know that. No. Okay, it cost. Where in those days, I think most albums cost thirty shillings. If anybody, I don't, do you know, you've no idea what a shilling is? Do you? No idea. Whatsoever. Okay. So I'm looking around the room for anyone that's old enough to know what a shilling is. Okay. It's so weird, isn't it? Shillings and pence. Anyway, so uh, they did Ireland released a sampler. Um, called Nice Enough to Eat for 15 shillings, which is about 72 pence, I right. think. And, and on it, there uh, were tracks by Free and and Nick Drake and Fairport Convention and King Crimson and Mott the Hoople, whatever. And between that and Peel, that was, you know, my... Basky. Pa- my basket, did I you say? I said Parsky, but you could say Oh, my Parsky, my, ba- my Parsky... <laughs> I had both a passkey and a and basket, a <laughs> and I didn't quite know what to do with either of them because they didn't go together. But they did. They did. Uh, I couldn't open the basket with a passkey, but they did uh, get me to go to the Paget Rooms in Panath, the only place where you could see live bands yeah. in those days, which is a tiny... Um, Panath is a little outreach of Cardiff, and there's a tiny venue there called the Paget Rooms. And when I was 15, I went there to see Free, and uh, that was... Um, the first live band I saw, and that was another, you know, one of the life-changing moments I'm attempting to tell you about yeah. as briefly and interestingly as I can. <laughs> Not doing a very good job. No, of you're it. doing a tremendous job, Green. And uh, I took an yourself. I took an autograph book with me in the hope that I would get an autograph from the members of Free. And one song into this, it was half full. This little venue, tiny venue, and uh, the, there was a, a malfunction with PA or um, amplifiers or something and the band sat on the edge of the stage sort of swinging their legs and um, I plucked up the temerity to go up to Paul Rogers and get his autograph which was a big deal to yeah. me the only other autograph I ever got and I didn't actually ask for it <laughs> was um, you know American boxer bit someone's ear Oh, yeah, Tyson. Tyson, Mike Tyson, gave me his autograph in the lift in New York. I hadn't wanted it, but he insisted I... <laughs> so you were both in the lift together, he said, yeah. here you go, son. Yeah, he, was, he expected that I would want something signed. You know, Have you still seen... got it? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, mm. so free. I went to see free. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I realised, you know, music had this psychoactive power to transform the world, the way I felt about the world, what the world could be. Like, I can't tell you. Well, I mean, I'm trying to tell you. Look at me. I'm trying to tell you here. The, the enormous I'm power. I'm the power of, uh, you. of popular music. And, oh, man. That first island sampler, Nice Enough to Eat, it really set my... It got me interested in lots of things. It got me interested in traditional music through Fairport Convention, mm. which is something that I've stayed interested in all my life. And uh, I was going to say, I was manifested by your next project. Well, I, I, do, um, I do have a project at the moment which is uh, some cover versions of some songs by the uh, singer Anne Briggs 
But yeah, about. I've kind of been in and out of uh, of uh, involvement with traditional music more in the last few years through, you know, the, um, Joe Boyd, who produced a lot of those island records that I loved, mm. yeah. you know, Fairport and uh, Nick Drake. And I kind of got involved with him. So I've done a fair bit of um, playing live, doing tours of the music of Nick Drake, you know, I've managed to go out live and do a disservice to his songs every night around the world uh which has been good fun and uh you know meet great heroes like richard thompson who uh, richard thompson course, from yeah. fairport was became one of my favorite guitarists probably no it still is one of my favorite three guitarists and um i got to play with him and uh at the barbican i remember being on stage with him and to, we were in rehearsals and saying to him uh that reminding him that he mentioned me in one of his songs once did he yeah he did he did in a in a um a song called i think a girl with a bone through her nose <laughs> uh which might you know you could say was an un, an ungenerous uh comment on um a certain type of young woman in, involved in modeling maybe right. that okay. maybe that's what it was about yeah. and in in i don't want to he he says something in the lyric about um, you're so this you're so pretty. I bet your boyfriend oh he is the singer in Scrooge Pretty. I mean it, oh. it rhymes better than that. <laughs> yeah. So I reminded him of this on the stage of Barbican a few years ago, and he was generally he said you're not going to sue me, are you? That absolute <laughs> absolute terror on his face. But we were there and there for uh, an incredible string band uh, thing, not a not a, a Nick Drake thing. And um, so through that I became friendly with the. Mike Heron from the Incredible String Band and I'm off at a tangent. Q presents the making of. Okay, one other gig. So really, yeah. really important gig at that time. Year after I saw Free when I was 15, I think, went to the Reading Festival, 19... I don't know, the 11th, 71, was it or something? If you're asking know. me, I was two, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, say, okay. Yeah. Uh, to see um, Matching Mole. The two favourite bands at that time were right. Matching Mole, which was Robert Wyatt's band when he left Soft Machine. And I got to... Peel was a big fan of that, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I got to know about him through Peel, as yeah. I did The Faces. And they, they were my, you know, that year, maybe my two favourite bands, and they were both appearing at Reading. Quite so, similar uh, sounding. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't be more dissimilar. But that, I, I thought yeah. that was, you know, I really had very broad taste. It didn't seem to me any kind of incongruity. Incongruity, that is... Ladies and gents, there was no you know, incongruity between, um, you know, the, the being able to like Matching Mole and um, and the faces. And um, I can remember um, I'd been thrown out of my house for having my ears pierced. I had my ears pierced when I was 16, both wow. ears, because... Um, Quite unusual my, at that my, time. My, my, it was the, the Incredible String Band had a photo of uh, of them on the sleeve and they both had... Pierced ears, so I went into a, an arcade in Cardiff and got my ears pierced and was thrown out of my house. So I went to live with my grandmother. What was that? How did that go down in Cardiff? In in the in the place you know, it was unusual yeah. uh, for someone to have. Uh, and um, yeah, so uh, I and I took one of my grandmother's dresses and wore a dress as well. To, yeah, okay. got on the train at Newport and went to uh, the Reading Festival and was very excited to see. 
uh, matching mole and the faces. Rod Stewart kicked a football yeah. out. You know, they had that, that arrangement on the on the stage where well, they had a bar. And, uh, they, I mean, they, 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 there was something, you know, that fantasy of kind of male bonding, drunkenness, never yeah. really getting a job, all of that stuff coexisted with the, with the, at the same time for me with that kind of incredible string band, cheesecloth, living communally somewhere in the countryside, redemptive, romantic love. Yeah. I had all of those lived fantasies and they coexisted <laughs> quite nicely. So he kicked the football out and I caught it. How oh, exciting. Amazing. And then someone grabbed it off me and, uh, <laughs> and that was not so good. But also I looked this morning <laughs> to find out what year, what year that was. And it was the 11th. Maybe it's 1972, 11th Reading Festival, status quo played and Genesis, hated Genesis. Yeah. Always hated Genesis, didn't you? But um, Vinegar Joe played. I Vin- don't even know Vinegar, Vinegar Joe Vinegar Joe, dude. Perhaps some of our old listeners. Vinegar Joe well. had um, a singer, two two main singers. Uh, the guy was Robert Palmer. Do you know of Robert Palmer? Of course, Palmer? yeah. Yeah, who I subsequently became very good friends with and have Did you? I wonder what you had in common. Yeah. <laughs> really? No, well, he... he yeah, he'd like good times, didn't he? I mean, yeah, yeah. You like <laughs> good times. And I do. I wonder what you're getting at. That's what I'm saying. That's all. Oh, yeah. I, I, you I mean wasn't bon being vivers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That in common is bon what I'm vivers. saying. Yeah. And um, anyway, that's a whole other. Jeez, I'm off at so many tangents. <laughs> but uh, so I got, and then um, Robert White fell out of a window, and yeah. John Peel said, you know, he's had this awful accident, and um, if anybody wants to write to him. Uh, you know, to send him their best wishes, uh, you can send him a letter like me. So I wrote to Peel. I wrote to Robert Wyatt yeah. through Peel. And uh, many years later, when uh, uh, God, this is sounding like <laughs> just name dropping spaghetti. That's fine. You've got the names. A scrambled brain <laughs> dropping names. Uh, so I met Robert. He played on a, on a, on a, an early song of mine, and uh, I went to his house. I used to go and hang out with him quite a lot in Twickenham, mm. and mentioned having written to him when I was fifteen. And uh, his wife Alfie went off and found the letter that I'd written oh to gosh. him in, the, in his in a file, wow. and uh, so our friendship was cemented, <laughs> cemented. But um, there was some other reason for me beginning to tell you all that, and I can't remember what it is. Well, let's let's go to Leeds. So okay, now, let's go to Leeds. Now it's a bit of a few years later, not that many. Not many years later. No. I mean, just the just the length of the Beatles' career, really. I mean, another sort of yeah. five six years later. Mm. You end up at Leeds University, yeah, studying fine, fine art. art, yeah, and one of the big moments of your life. Oh, really? Seeing the Sex Pistols. Oh, I don't want to give the the, the, the punchline away, but <laughs> what was that? Okay, <laughs> a turn, I did. some sort of kind of turning point. No? I did, I did. Yeah, Leeds was. Um, yeah, I was doing fine art at Leeds. Still, very, very music really being my great passion. Though not really thinking I could ever. Would ever have the license to do it myself? Do you know mm. what I mean? I mean, no one from Wales had ever that I ever knew had been in a band. There wasn't, you know, you just went and saw bands and bought albums, and you didn't ever think you could be involved. And then the uh, towards the end of my time there, the um, the Pistols, the Clash, the Damned, and the Heartbreakers came and played at uh, the Poly think it was and um well that was it really you know that well the, the, but my whole life it's a very it's a it sounds it's it's a difficult thing to account for and it sounds you know both glib and unlikely but my whole life was absolutely 
turned upside down that night. There was, uh, and whatever vague plans I'd had for the rest of my life, uh, which may have involved, you know, being an academic or just being a bum. I don't know what I. All I wanted to be was to be in a band, mm. and um, I uh, was a few weeks later. We blew the last of our student grants. Me and. Uh, a guy called Tom and a guy called Neil, who was at school with me, blew the last of our grants on a on a, a drum kit and a bass guitar, and within a few weeks, uh, we were, I think, had our first gig. We were called the Against mm-hmm. uh, then. What an appalling name! And um, yeah. I can only remember. I think we. I know we had a song called "Abortion on Demand," the well-known abortion, which on Demand. Uh, yeah, classic was, <laughs> which was good. And uh, we supported a band called Leeds SOS. Yeah, something something SOS. The UK's in a hell of a mess. Was their <laughs> was their big song. Yeah, and uh, and so we were the against for a few weeks, and then the opportunity arose to um, come and to London to live in a squat in Camden, where some of the previous friends of our previous friends of ours who were also at Leeds art students had come down to join a street full of squats. And uh, that's when we decided we should... Around about that time, we got to meet the Desperate Bicycles. It's like if The Clash had been the inspiration to uh, being a a punk band, it was the Desperate Bicycles with their singles that really were all about telling you how you could do it. It was easy, it was cheap, go and do it, was their slogan recorded in the studios in Dalston. And they were they were a huge inspiration, and they would come to our squat in Carroll Street and um, hang out, as lots of other bands did in those days. And um, so we decided to make our own record, and uh, we went oh, to um, Spacewood Studios in Cambridge and cut three <laughs> songs in an afternoon, one of which was called Skank Block Bologna, which... Um, which I took to, uh, we took to Jeff Travis at Rough Trade, and he said, this is very good, we'll put this out, and uh, took it also, uh, as soon as, uh, we took it to John Peel, and uh, he played it the night that we, um, that we took it to him, we were waiting on the other side of um, Regent's Park in a pub, thinking if he played it, we're going to run over to Radio 1, and you know, grab him as he comes out the door and thank him and uh, he played it and invited us to do a session and then on the back of that session i think we got asked would we support the clash and the slits on an upcoming tour but we only had three songs so we couldn't do that but because we'd been asked to you know i said i thought blimey this could be you know this could last a few more months or there might be a little bit more to this so uh we um uh, started to make records for rough trade yeah are you listening no we're i'm all ears okay so you've yeah, got two so cans on the go did uh, i didn't you open that for me yeah yeah okay so yeah we released our first single skank block bologna and um back to being at, at leeds whilst i was at leeds there were two the two people I'm, whose music I most liked were, were Henry Cow, the band, yeah. and um, I kind of uh, stalked them, really, and um, used to make a nuisance of myself and got invited to their rehearsals at Fred Fritz, the guitarist in Henry right. Cow, his father, 
had a school. Was a, he was a headmaster in York, and in the summer holidays I was invited to go and sit in on their rehearsals and got quite pally with them. But I can remember talking to Chris Cutler, the drummer, I think it was the, the time that, that, at the beginning of punk, they were, mm-hmm. I was putting on some gigs, to, you know, socialist benefit gigs, and I'd booked Henry Cow, and uh, Chris Cutler and I didn't see eye to eye about the merits of punk. Right. And when I released my uh, first single, our first single on Rough uh, Trade, no, it was actually distributed by Rough Trade. It was on the St. Pancras label, which mm. is the name of our Young Communist League branch at the time. Um, mm. in, in the spirit of the times, it was all about DIY. So we put how how to make a record, all the information, how to get in touch with us. Here's our address. Here's, you know, the rest of it. If we can help you make a record, please yeah. let's uh, help you. And... Um, the record came out on the Monday, and I think on the Wednesday in the post, we got a, a returned copy, and uh, it was sent back by Chris Cutler, the drummer really? from Henry Cow, oh, who said, leave making music to the professionals. <gasps> yeah. What do you think of that, everybody? I think that's Sharp exactly... Sharp intake of breath. Well, that's exactly what punk was all about. Was, well, indeed. Was the opposite of that, wasn't it? Oh, dear. <laughs> so uh, that was a shocking moment for me. I mean, I'd adored that band. Yeah. And... Um, Anyway, I also used to stalk when I was at Leeds um, the singer Martin Carthy. Right, uh, yes. I should get this out of the way obsessively. And <laughs> I'd like to take this opportunity to apologise to him, his wife and his family <laughs> for all the, all the problems, genuinely the problems I did cause them what? No, really? by what following them. You know. No, I don't. I would p- pitch up at gigs in the middle of nowhere. Well, I, and there was... There's that tall boy outside again. Yeah, it's like, oh man, I've had... The other day he said to to me, I saw Martin, and uh, we now talk. We're kind of friends, kind of. Restraining uh, orders. You know, he's so. been very forgiving. And he said, you know, you were the first man ever to come to one of my gigs wearing makeup. Because I used to wear makeup. I still do wear makeup, actually. But, um, and I followed them round. Uh, I'd go to gigs like Martin Carthy and the Watersons would be playing at a village hall somewhere in remotest... I was going to say remotest Yorkshire, where and I'd have really no way of getting home after the gig. I, th- yeah. This was one specific example I can remember at the moment. And uh, Martin would say, "Well, how, how are you getting back to Leeds?" And I, well, you know, I, I'm happy to sleep in a bus shelter, which I what genuinely was. <laughs> right. But uh, Martin and, and all the Watersons, you know, would drive, I don't know, fifty miles out of their way to take me home after one of their gigs. And uh, yeah, incredible. And um, but I would pitch up at you know, make such a nuisance of myself. One of the very many things that keep me awake at night. Most of my past keeps me awake at night, (laughs) squealing, shouting, writhing, and the rest of it is the uh, is how um, what a nuisance I was to Carthy and the Watersons. So you you must have had those kind of nuisances too. People must have followed Scritty around. I had, I've had some nuisances. I bet you've had some. And uh, I tell you what, What? Ted. Yes, I'm all ears. um, In the current issue of Q, you tell everybody what my local pub is. Oh, and what what time I go? What time I go there? Oh, I'm sure that I've read that. Is that public knowledge? Okay, fine. So, well, there you go to the. the <laughs> <laughs> I go to the, the the hedgehog and parsley in yeah. uh, Epping. Lewis. Oh, right. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But no, Sorry I have, yeah, I have had Green. my um, my um, fair share of nuisances. And now I have to drink in a new pub and move house, and I'm sorry about that. Um, but so yeah, rough trade, and um, so that yeah, 
uh, Skankbuck Bologna received some attention and that was the first of a a, a, a bunch of um, I guess they call them post-punk records yeah and um, I was still you know promoting gigs at the time I, at that time I remember promoting um, an early gig by The Fall at Goldsmiths and uh, this would be 78 I think and it was um, The Fall and Cooper Clark and um, John Cooper Clark so, you know, I think it was the, third, the Fall's third ever gig in London and uh, I can remember um, I no, hadn't put a gig on in London before so um, I put a, a sign up on the notice board in the Students' Union at, at um, Goldsmiths saying PA wanted <laughs> you know for this uh, yeah. and um, it uh <laughs> Thomas Dolby. Do you know who Thomas Dolby yeah, is? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yes, producer. He was the person who was a student at Goldsmiths who had the PA for the event. So let's what do you think of that? Shake small, it out. Small, small world. Tedious. Small world. And uh, I've, got, I've got absolutely gazillions of these tiny, inconsequential little events from well, let's post-punk go, past well, let's go to from, entertain you with for hours. <laughs> Let's Don't go shut for, me up now. I, I'm going to. <laughs> okay. Let's go for a very uh, important event. Yes. Which is when, you, well, I guess it's a bittersweet because you collapsed backstage supporting Gang of Four. Yeah. And that was the, the end of your live performance career. Yeah. And also a moment when you went home to Wales to recuperate. Yes. For nine months. And yes. something important happened to you in Wales. Yes. Re- a revelation. I got beaten up by some bikers. That wasn't the village. Oh, okay, <laughs> but but uh, that's, that sounds important too. Well, it was pretty scary. <laughs> but uh, okay, yeah, no. So um, I uh, yeah, I wasn't the healthiest of um, you know people then. <laughs> I'm sad, you know. You can tell how healthy. Two cans of Guinness. Two cans of Guinness. <laughs> packet of peanuts. That's uh, uh, um, so I didn't look after myself. I don't think any of us did, and um, it took its toll. And also, I was um, beginning to doubt the um, interest, efficacy, usefulness of the direction musically that we were headed in, and uh, which was getting more and a, a more kind of um, noise makery post-punk. You know, lots of improvised, dis- you know, dissonant, angry, crashy, abouty, dubby stuff i was going to use a pejorative word about it but um and so then i got sick uh well to, uh, with a gang of four and uh went back to wales and uh, was forced back on my uh, largely my sister's record collection for uh solace yeah and she um i was very dismissive of her you know she liked um r&b and soul and northern soul she was a, she used to go up to those northern soul clubs and the things. good stuff yeah, she liked the good stuff, and you know, I thought it was rubbish when when. But um, so whilst back in Wales recovering, I got to listen to a lot of her records and a lot of old, you know, pop records really. So that you know, I think people, I don't know, you can't even remember how I got hold of things like the Kinks' Greatest Hits, and I would never really ever listen to anything like that. But I got interested in pop music again, and that kind of coincided with um what my interests you know throughout all of this there's a kind of background thing of critical cultural theory mm-hmm. and and continental philosophy and uh so that kind of coincided what i was concluding from the works of people like jacques derrida who i had written a song about when i called him jack derrida because yeah. i didn't know how to pronounce his name which is a yeah bit it's easy to sing with the, the way you pronounce it though i think 
subject to reader, easier, yeah. easier to sing. I think yeah, so. For I it. think right. I'd not even thought what it would be like trying to sing it the right way. <laughs> but uh, so uh, yeah, that, and that led to me meeting him actually. But that's another oh, yeah, that's tale. Um, so um, back to Wales. It's and, an intriguing uh, tale. I almost want to ask about it, but I don't want to get sidetracked. So carry on. Okay, where are we at? We're at uh, back to Wales. You're back to Wales. Well, your sister's about, collection. So yeah, his his you know the work of the continental philosophy had led me to reconsider really the privileging that there was to uh, on the spectrum of musics. Like in some ways, the most worthy at one end of the spectrum is jazz, um, for argument's sake, and at the other end of the spectrum, the the, the least worthy is pop. Mm. And um, what kind of went hand in hand with with reading him was a kind of um, breaking apart of these the values uh, that were accorded to each of these musical practices and what they stood for and what they you know claimed to represent reveal the rest of it. So I was somehow listening to pop music and reading this theory that, that, that and it all clicked that. The more interesting thing to be doing at that time, I thought, suddenly was not uh, making another scratchy, collapsy, dissonant uh, record. And it wasn't, I didn't want to follow what was happening then in uh, music in the UK was the birth of indie with a big eye. Yeah. You know, when suddenly, uh, it, which sounded to me just like rock music again. Big coats. Big coats. Grey skies. 335, Gibson 335s, sticky up hair. Mm-hmm. In all the wrong ways, he <laughs> thinks how sticky up is my hair at the moment. But um, and uh, I thought, you know, sod this. This isn't what I signed on for. I don't want anything to do with this. And this became, you know, this is what indie was, and it became huge. And I did go out and play with any, you know, a bunch of number of those, a bunch of number of those bands. Yeah. I played live with, and they were jolly nice fellows. But I wasn't feeling any kinship with them, and. Um, and then suddenly I was listening to that would be the say that was 1980 yeah and I would be uh, you know listening to the Jacksons album Triumph I don't know if you know the Jacksons album Triumph I don't know that the Trump, Triumph I know the Jacksons so astonishing right. it's an astonishing piece of work and uh, the, you know if I was listening this morning to uh, an attempt to kind of prep myself for this yeah. ordeal <laughs> to uh, to uh, <laughs> Triumph by the Jacksons so there's this lumpen rock music resurfacing in the UK. Horrible, you know, smelly schoolboy kind of <laughs> nonsense. And then at, at that same year, the Jacksons, you know, are releasing Triumph. And you have to, you just listen to it and think, oh my God, which is the more interesting? Which is the more dynamic? Which is the more challenging? Which is the more prompts you to think more about what's happening? Which is the thing that prompts you more to wonder about culture and 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 ideas about you know even philosophical ideas and it, the jacksons win yeah you know they really did and so uh i became the other the other great route to that of course was through reggae which um which which all punks listen to instead we never listened to punk if no. you were a punk you would listen to reggae so we spent yeah. all our time uh you know going out to reggae clubs and reggae gigs and and there's a way through you had to find a whole new way to listen to music through reggae i didn't get it to begin with you know the first time i heard it i was like what do you know what i mean maybe yeah. maybe you weren't maybe maybe you got it the first time you heard it i didn't it demanded uh, a different kind of listening in the way that the funk did in the way that pop did yeah it made me have to rethink what was going on and what were my assumptions about it 
and what did I think was valuable about it and what did I think was at work there and what was powerful yeah. and all of that. And it was so that was really challenging music. That was exciting music. That was stuff that turned my world around. That was, you know, that blew my mind. I do, th- I do think that when I first heard dub, yeah, I did th- remember thinking, why, why isn't all music a bit like this, or why don't people make music like mm-hmm. this? Like what this? They must be doing something different to everybody else to, to make yeah. it sound like this. It was well, yeah. they were, they were. <laughs> I know, but that. What? How do they arrive at that? Position? Yeah, well, yeah. that's a fascinating. That genuinely is a fascinating history. Yeah. and uh, you know, one day when we're old, we can sit down and. <laughs> Do a pod about dub. Do a pod about dub music. Do you remember dub music? Uh, but no, well, dub blew my mind, of course. Yeah. All of that stuff. Yeah. All the music coming out of Jamaica and then the pop music from, uh, you know, black American contemporary R&B. And it completely uh, changed the way I thought about everything. And, um, and so that's the kind of music that I wanted to find out what it felt like to make. Mm. even though I was wildly inequipped to do it. And uh, and Jeff Travis at Rough Trade was hugely influential at the moment. Jeff would play me... It was Jeff that played me early Prince records and he would come back from seeing Prince in early Prince gigs and talk very enthusiastically about them. And he took me to Prince's first gig in, uh, in the UK and he would play me other R&B stuff. He played me the first Bambata stuff and... Uh, and when I got to first got to New York in, a, I guess, about 1981, 82, and going to, I went, you know, going to the, um, I think it was the Roxy Club, then the Roxy in Manhattan, mm. uh, and, and the Mud Club too, but the Roxy Bambata, seeing Bambata live in those very Incredible. very early days, and the Crush Crew and the Funky Four, which I was privileged to see. Very much so, And yeah. uh, listen to those early days, you listen to DJ Red Alert on the radio, and uh, hip hop became as as important for me easily as as punk had become in a way it shook my whole life up and you know, just you sort of molecularly kind of took me apart and um reassembled me or or not and uh so then it was that mixture of of being passionate about hip hop and about pop music uh, contemporary you know sophisticated american r&b those two things became my passions and i ended up in new york yeah mm. and so there's no way you're going to go back and do any kind of guitar music after that. that i mean well not for a while not for a while. i mean when when you're in that state of mind this is it so you're in the journey now where you're going to just be trying to make as good a rhythmic pop music as possible yeah basically yeah and um, you and you did that for album number two see how i'm sliding you through oh are we uh, album number two yeah so well, we've done. We've done album. We num- did the album number one. Did um, yeah, it, it managed to get enough major labels interested in me. I got you know sort of songs to remember that first Rough Trade album. Surprisingly, now in retrospect, got a lot of majors interested. I know. love that record, Green. We had this not, conversation not, last time we not, met. I cannot yeah. believe that you're so down on oh, it. Well, you know, I'm boy. We listened to okay. it today in the office. Yeah, and um, so it's, it's funny, you know, the, the, the major labels would be you know, swanning around, kind of come come away from the, the indies and come to us. And I can remember going to a place like Chrysalis Records where they would, uh, you know, I was fed and watered really handsomely. I mm. was, uh, you know, free holidays to Jamaica. And, what? Uh, yeah. Uh, they, I was, they, the, the one record label um, said, I mean, they were... The, money better times profligate uh, anyway you go to go to Jamaica for Christmas you and your girlfriend go to Jamaica for Christmas have a villa you know here are here are tickets to see uh, 
Bunny Whaler and Peter Tosh uh, 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 in Kingston on Christmas Day. Uh, what a I'm a Marxist, I can't do this. Oh, I'm a member of the communist, no, young communist sect. Not, not a problem. I, okay. you know, I wasn't. Uh, you know, I was a sophisticated, uh, sophisticated young Marxist <laughs> who didn't see any contradiction in that. No, fair you'll enough. be relieved to hear. I'm glad. So, uh, and you know, and things like they'd say, "Well, look, you know, we can." What's a cash? And why don't you um, go to this nightclub, and we'll arrange for you to meet this woman, and we can have you photographed with her next. Tuesday, and you'll. This is true, and you'll be in the, the on the pop pages of the of the the tabloids by next Friday, and we can do all that for you. And you, you know, your pop career will be absolutely hysterical. You know, yeah. kind of horrific. I was still in a men's group of the Young Communist League in a squat back in Camden. I'd go home at the end of the day. You know, I'd take that cheap suit off that I used to wear for meetings, and t- tell tell all the other lads in the Young Communist League. In, our, in the men's group, in which we weakly berated ourselves for being men, um, about you know about what was going on, and yeah. it was it was quite a contradiction. Yeah, I mean, there, there were two it. different two different worlds, you know, uh, a tugging at me there. Yeah. And uh, who so, won? Which side won? Mm, good question. Anyway, so uh, yeah, decided to um, go to. Jeff Travis introduced me to a, a, um, a, a young musician called David Gampson from New York and uh, he, um, he liked what I did and I liked what he did. Uh, uh, David's um, father had been an assistant to Leonard Bernstein and uh, David grew up terribly knowledgeable. He was also an early adopter of synth- synthesizers yeah. so David grew up with a, a kind of mad dad with those big synthesizers with lots of patch boards and he was hugely knowledgeable about the funk and pop yeah. music and also british music and he liked and so we got together jeff travis put us together and that was that was the version of scritty Pilty mark ii that uh and i went to went to live in new york and um started making music there which was which was an extraordinary experience but it was both um uh, a joyful and um triumphant no joyful and uh, <laughs> difficult well it's peak yeah. 80s isn't it so you're in the middle yeah. of the 80s and it's the it's, yeah. it's New York of mid 80s New York mid 80s very exciting time very uh, I mean you know record companies just th- throw gobs of money at, at you so you could live in high style you know rent fabulous apartments and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of sounds distasteful to uh, talk about that now and uh, but we lived well and um you know, if it makes anyone feel better, but I did suffer because I was so ill-equipped musically to make the kind of music that I wanted to make. You know, I didn't have an R and B voice. I didn't really want an R and B voice, but um, and I didn't have, I, I didn't play any guitar on on the that first record, uh, 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 um, Cupid and Psyche, because I mm. couldn't play guitar as well as it needed to be played. So you know, I got people like I got. People like Paul Jackson Jr., who played with the Jacksons, yeah. played the guitar, you know, and Marcus Miller, the bass player, who had played with Luther Vandross and with Miles and everybody played the bass. And Steve Ferroni, who was with the Average White Band, played the drums. Why is and this a problem, though? Because they were the, the right guys for Well, the because they're, it's intimidating, isn't it? You know, okay. I'd come from post-punk, you know, I barely knew the name of a bunch of chords and uh, I was suddenly in these very expensive studios in Manhattan with Arif Mardin producing who'd produced you know 
Aretha and Shaka yeah. and everything. And but I was way out of my depth. But you'd written these songs. You'd well, written the I'd, songs. Well, I'd, uh, I'd written the songs and I co-wrote some of them with uh, David and they were kind of... Very but good I couldn't songs. play them like, right. you know, I, and and when it came to singing, uh, it was very intimidating. And uh, th thankfully, Arif Mardin was very um, indulgent. You know, he would let me sing the same song eighty odd times, in the hope that I, I, I was me that wanted to sing it. I thought the next time I sing it, it'll be amazing. Uh, and of course, the, the eighty-second time I sang it was exactly like the fourth time I sang it. And uh, we were, at that point, I was getting so bonkersly obsessive about this. And the new technology meant that we could get obsessive about moving snare drums around in milliseconds and dealing with, you know, sampling and whatever else. So yeah. we were running, like, different studios at the same time. Mass I was in Air Studios in London at great expense doing vocals while David was finishing keyboards in New York and Fred was somewhere else doing drum programming and... Uh, but the result was, was a fantastic man. Well, the album. result was a popular record by all oh reports. Gosh, and uh, down on yourself. Uh, no, no, no. That's you know, you know, another classic, you know, classic you know. album right here. But, um, and then Loads it came, then it was like, well, are you, you guys going to go and play this record live now? And there's a tour and there's, uh, you know, lined up. And um, we really, uh, so that the, the heart of Scritty Politi then was myself, David Gampson, um, and Fred Marr. Fred was the drummer. Yeah. Uh, he was also drumming with uh, Lou Reed at the time and doing some work with Kraftwerk. I can tell you tales of meeting all of those people, but I won't because uh, time is on our heels. I think. And uh, so... Um, Who is the most fun, Lou Reed or Kraftwerk? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't... Really? In terms of fun? <laughs> Who did Are you, you serious? Yeah. We, those three? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the most fun. Okay. None of them. I did go and see Tito Puente. You know, Tito Puente yeah, uh, with craft work. And uh, that was a fun night. There you go. What would, what, in fact, when I'd written the girl, uh, the song, the, the Sweetest Girl, that was a, a popular song of mine <laughs> back in the day, I'd had the idea, uh, partly because I was in a, in, in a young communist men's group, and the, the Sweetest Girl, that was, a, yeah. it was a kind of, uh, it, it was a, a transgressive lyric mm. for the time for me anyway and i said to jeff well why don't you know in, uh, my dream thing would be to have craft work do the rhythm to this uh, i don't know i'd have no idea what i was thinking and gregory isaacs to sing it because ah. they were two of my favorite people yeah. in the world at the time i can hear it a little bit. and uh well yeah the, the drum it was programmed drums on on that that, were, that was influenced by craft work yeah. and the melody and lyric were influenced by um gregory isaacs yeah. completely that's where they that's what the influences were and uh, so I went to Jeff, you know, well, well, I don't know if I could sing this. Why don't we see if... Um... So I think the song was sent to um, Gregory Isaacs. I think we got a pot in Jamaica. We got a positive response from um, his management right. to the idea. And we heard nothing back from Kraftwerk. <laughs> so, uh, so two, well, how many? Maybe this is two, three years later. So yeah. I'm, I'm with Kraftwerk at Tito Puente. And I said... Um, <laughs> I sent you a song once, you know, a demo. I don't know if you ever... And uh, they were kind of a bit vague and, well, what was it like? And I said, well, it's a kind of reggae song. And they said, we hate reggae. <laughs> so, that was it. But they were thoroughly nice chaps. Okay. But 
that's and so I got I got to make the record myself with Robert Wyatt, which was a whole other another thing. Anyway, so yeah, we didn't, we couldn't play Cupid and Psyche live. We, I didn't have the confidence, and nor did uh, David or Fred. I think Fred maybe would have, but David similarly didn't feel like we had the chops to do it justice live. So the tour never happened, and instead we had to go around the world, you know, doing this, talking, <laughs> talking interminable amounts of BS about oneself. Until yeah. you turn a much inferior version of this, where it's just very light and fluffy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, no, it yeah. Uh, and it, uh, that that stuff will, you know, that'll that'll wear you out. Wear you out. <laughs> that will really grind you down. Talking mm. that kind of talking about yourself anyway is really awful. And then talking about it day after day after day after day, and doing tea. We did lip syncing TV shows in every little state and radio station and America and across Europe and Japan and Australia and do you know you sit on a sofa with people in I don't know Scottsdale for a more good morning Scottsdale or whatever it was <laughs> and now these young guys you know you guys tell us tell us who are you you know and you're gonna play your latest single for us and you, you're just gonna lip sync at nine <laughs> o'clock in the morning to a and, uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to die after doing that three times? I don't know. I really don't know how people who want who want pop careers can stomach all the bullshit that goes with it. I mean, how can you? I don't know. It wasn't it's for me. just unbelievable. But you so, didn't stop though. Then you made another album. So well, I, well, like, I kind of. I should have stopped. I can't stopped. stomach this. I'm I could do have, some more. I could have. I, I, you know, I did after it. I did kind of go bonkers a bit but we regrouped to make another record i think we were ill prepared to make that second record called yeah. provision I yeah think more time should have gone in, into into writing it and the rest of it and uh, you know the the although it has some great moments and it has miles davis on it and it has roger troutman who was one of my great heroes of the band zap mm. uh when my parents moved to America when I was young I didn't see much of my parents but I went to visit them once and I was on a got on a in a taxi in um, Miami and um, a track was playing and it was Zap I'd never heard Zap before I don't know I'd have been I don't know well how old I was then yeah. 20 or something and so I fell in love with Zap and uh, so I finally got to work with Roger Troutman and um, he was the funkiest human being I've ever worked with he used the talk box you know yeah, and he uh he was amazing. Sadly, he was murdered by his brother the, uh, the year after after his brother murdered him and uh, then turned the gun on himself the <sighs> year after I worked with him. And But he was... Uh, so, uh, on provision, there was some fantastic stuff happened, but, the you know, the wheels were coming off. Yeah. Kind of... Coming um, off you too as well. Coming off... Me. Just you as person. Yeah, and that took its toll on the on the whole band, I think. And then when the album was finished, I just uh, yeah, I ended up in hospital, and then uh, really not well, and um, and everything fell apart. The band fell apart. The ma the management disappeared. The record companies, the relationships, the friends, uh, girlfriends, no nothing. I had 
everything disappeared and I was left I was when I came out of hospital um, I uh, rented uh, or somebody rented for me a, a cottage in uh, rural Wales where I stayed largely in solitude for quite a few years and didn't want to hear any music I had a I had a more my equipment in a in a bedroom in that house and uh, if I opened the door where all the flight cases just the smell of musical equipment you know what it smells like <laughs> yeah it, it so. would make me feel terrified right so I kept that and the only thing that I could listen to was hip-hop which had become my main passion then anyway and I would make forays to Bristol and London occasionally and to buy and to go home and that would that was the only music I could listen to and it and and as that love intensified again particularly the work of DJ Premier mm. his productions mm. uh, which I'd long been in love with I, what I then I had that you know I need to know what it feels like to try and make this music in a way that I need to know what it felt like to make noise on a guitar or to or to um, you know make pop music or something I needed so I started making beats in the uh, in the cottage in Wales, and then you in know Congress in Congress in Congress it was very yeah, yeah. it was keep that noise down will you <laughs> from the neighbour next door <laughs> sorry Mr Jones <laughs> keep that bloody noise down will you <laughs> that's true actually but um, yeah so that kind of um, that got me back to wanting to make music again. So I, fi I ended up um, actually being, you know, that and the help of um, health professionals and chemicals <laughs> got me stable enough to get me back to uh, New York and Los Angeles and uh, living and working there again with David Gampson and making another record with... Uh, we had a basic band then of uh, Michelle and Degocello, the great bass player, mm. was the uh, bass player. Abe Laboreal Jr., who now drums with Paul McCartney. You'll have seen him, big fellow. Yeah. He was the drummer. Uh, Wendy Melvoin from uh, Wendy and Lisa, Lisa was wow. the guitarist. And uh, I was the other guitarist. And that was the uh, the basic band. And we rehearsed as a band in the valley and uh, put together an album with uh, people including Most Death of... Um, uh, a, you know, a record that um is this sort of before Most Def was yeah it was the first, before Most Def had broken I I'd, I'd heard him on uh, oh man uh, uh, a release guesting on a release I can't remember who it was by now it'll come to me much later too late okay. for this but anyway so I'd like we'll the sound it. of uh, Most Def and invited him to be on the record and uh, it was at that moment you know I had started in addition to um. I'd started to listen to guitar music again. I'd started to, you know, I'd began listening to Peel again, and I was listening to lots of disparate things from the Palace Brothers to, you know, the first Foo Fighters record to I don't know what other guitar-y stuff came back into. So it's it's that it's that you know dread genre of um, guitars and <laughs> uh, and hip hoppy bits. But it's with you, Foo Fighters. Some of it, some of it stands up to scrutiny, I think. Some of your stuff or their stuff. My, 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 no, my, that I like my, that album. Anime and Bond Meat. There were some good and some great remixes on it by some good producers. Q presents the making of. Okay. Q presents the making of. Q presents the making of. <laughs> yeah. Shall we return to the, to the uh, in-depth probing? Okay. The, the, uh, there's a big gap. So there's there's the another there's an, yeah there's another gap here, isn't there, Green? Yeah. Now, 
between 1919 Anim- Anime, Anime and Bonamy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, White well, that record, Anime and Bonamy, didn't. Uh, there were no singles on it. I didn't think, and it, and uh, didn't have a band to play it live. Didn't have the confidence to play it live. Nothing happened, you know. Yeah. Uh, Die Alone could have been a good single. Die Alone. I like that one. That's, yeah, it's good. I like Die Alone. That's my favourite one. Anyway, can. Oh, we, I think we play that live now. There you go. Yeah, it's we did play one. that live. I can play live now, by the way. There's a happy ending. I know this is what I'm, I'm building up to. I know the waffle. story. Oh, I'm excited to hear okay. everyone else to hear it. Yeah. And so, yeah, a record that, uh, you know, uh, only my mother could love, really. And uh, although I thought it had good bits to it. And, and I it was it great too. fun. Great fun to make. Yeah. You know, the most fun uh, record to make. And yeah. And but nothing, nothing happened uh, except Jeff Travis from Rough Trade got in touch to say, well, I think you've made a very good record, ah. but I think you're with the wrong management and you're with the wrong record label. And why don't you come? Why don't you come back to me? <laughs> he whispered seductively. <laughs> and if you've ever seen him, yeah, woo, yeah. he's gorgeous. <laughs> so um, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, the siren song, I was actually genuinely thrilled to be, um, back at rough trade and jeff um helped me to um build a studio in my house in dalston yeah and i started working on a record for rough trade called white bread black beer and um it uh oh yeah it um it it came out and it was nominated for mercury and people liked it and i got it's a banger well you know patted on the back for having lived that long and still i mean can you imagine <laughs> when my next record comes out oh my god yeah i mean people of my age you you get knighthood for being able to eat a boiled egg without getting it down your front <laughs> don't you really so i'm expecting i am expecting great things even if the record's just mediocre come on yeah to be this old you spent so long on it though it can't be mediocre that's the no, problem it's gonna it's gonna be good it really is going to be good. But uh, so I got a lot of, um, you know, uh, approbation for White Bread Black Beer. And Jeff, it was made at home. It was really, it's really an album of demos. The And um, I said, well, here are the demos and I don't know what to do with them. And Jeff said, well, they're good, good enough as they are, aren't they, to release? Them. So we released them. Yeah. In the uh, in the selection of the songs for it, it's, it's, they're all quite slow songs. Jeff came round and... Uh, I unwisely let him have a say in choosing which songs <laughs> went on it. I'm joking, Jeff. And uh, anything that was kind of, you know, I I did any kind of Ernie, Ernie, Ernie kind yeah. of guitar. I like to play guitar, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Uh, soloing. Uh, he, he, like, I don't, th- I don't think that one, do you? Not that one. He hates guitar solos, I think. So none of my great guitar soloing. But anyway, so he said, well, why don't you, how do you feel about playing live? And um, I (gasps) thought, well, yeah, it's been 25 years, Jeff, whatever it had been, and I I don't have the confidence for it. And he said, well, what if you did a gig in a pub in London, incognito? And uh, by that point, I, you know, I was living in Dalston, and Dalston was a a great, uh, this was, you know, I moved to Dalston, I don't know, nearly 20 years ago, I guess. And uh, Dalston then was an exciting place. I'm not saying it's not exciting now, but it was particularly exciting then. And I met a lot of interesting people, a lot of interesting writers, 
yeah. wannabe filmmakers, musicians, yeah. people squatting in. It was a really vibrant. And in my local pub, I met, you know, young people that... I met young people who liked music, <laughs> and I thought, how marvellous. <laughs> I wonder if they like to... F and anyway, I got friendly, and uh, so I thought, much in the spirit of the early... Um, scritty yeah that the great that the early scritty was all about and the whole thing that was important about punk was that uh, a lack of professionalism inverted commas should be no bar to involvement it was really really important that uh, you know even if you couldn't play and yeah. so um i recruited a band from the drinkers in my local pub some of whom weren't even terribly familiar with their own instruments <laughs> And uh, and within a few weeks meeting, we had played as Double G in the Traitorous Three. We played the Windmill in Brixton, and it was only a couple of months after that I think we were playing a very big stadium in Japan. You know, to proper. Uh, we were, to be fair, we were very ill prepared for that yeah, bigger that elite. Particular but at least I was back making music live, and the most important thing I was making it with. Um, people who were primarily friends uh friends first and musicians second <laughs> and uh, that made me very happy yeah and i was amongst people whose company i really enjoyed and i was i loved it you know it outweighed the terror of um playing live and the rest of it was to be because i got to spend all the time in the company of you know clever adorable young people um who um uh, who seemed to be having as much fun as I was. And so Scritty Mark Three was born. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we played We played quite a lot live. We toured America and uh, and I've been around the world. And, uh, <laughs> we, um, and that band is now just... Uh, we, still, we still gig. We're gigging. Yeah. Uh, we know we've got... Uh, we're playing... The next gig I know we're definitely doing is uh, my birthday, June the 22nd. We're playing Blenheim Palace with Tears for Fears. <laughs> and and uh, that'll be lovely. Apparently the catering's really <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm warned that the gravel makes... Oh, this is true, actually. Of someone that, I met someone, the, a woman the other day, and she's put events on there, and she said, don't be put off by the sound of the gravel, because in the courtyard of... Right. I think the Blenheim Palace, which I think is where you play. Yeah. Have you ever been to a gig there? No. So it's all gravel... And when everybody's moving about on gravel, the, the, the collective crunching is, is almost louder than anything that's happening on stage. She said it's horrific. So Don't think about that too much. Well, no, You're going to fixate on the gravel. I'm going to you know, have to think of a way to encourage the audience to... Stand still. Stand still. <laughs> hey, everybody. I've got a great game we can play. It's called <laughs> the Musical Statues. Yes, yeah. Don't touch the gravel. Madam, keep your child still. <laughs> And uh, so that's June the 22nd. And, uh, but I'm also, yeah, you know, b b closing in on um, an album. I've just got so many songs and half songs, quarter songs, so much material written that to, to trying to, you know, wade through it to decide what's best to finish is, is, is tricky. But I'm getting there. Give and, it to and, Jeff. Uh, Jeff Travis can have a Jeff, listen. Yeah, no, no. He Jeff's heard, Jeff oh, has right. heard a bunch of it. And, uh, you know, thankfully, he, he's very excited, as are any of the handful of people that have heard 
bits. Well, they would be, wouldn't they? They're yeah. hardly likely to tell me. I invite them around my house and play <laughs> the stuff. They're not going to say, eh, eh, it's okay. But um, so yeah. people are enthused. I'm even I'm enthused. I like the sound of it. Maybe that's because it hasn't been tainted by having been heard by by the you know the ears of people who might find it wanting. <laughs> tainted by the ears of people who might find it wanting. Okay, okay. and uh, and the short term, shorter term, I have the these. Um, I've done a couple of cover versions of um, songs by Anne Briggs. Uh, More than a couple, though, surely. It's an album. No, 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 it's not an album. Oh, just okay. Yeah, no, this is, this is an error that you've made. Oh, I just... Uh, I just yeah, you've been misinformed uh, by... Uh, by your PR. By the, somebody here. The PR. The PR Mr. doesn't Jay know Walker. his... Doesn't <laughs> know his... <laughs> Jamie! <laughs> no. So, no, it's two songs. I've done yes. two, two, two... I've covered two of her songs, and they ah. will be, you know, available one way or another for people's listening pleasure they can get their dirty ears on them i want to hear them uh i tried to get to i know them. i tried to send it to you oh but uh there you go i the, wouldn't have made that error if i didn't if I'd. well no i know i know uh but um the day i tried to send it to you uh someone was at a funeral okay and i said can you look just hurry away from the funeral <laughs> It's fancy. I, didn't <laughs> I, let them, I let them stay at the funeral. As yeah. a consequence, you didn't get to hear That's the fine. Uh, song. That's fine. So we're pretty much up to date then. Yeah. On the green gut side story. Kinda. But we've not finished. Oh no. No, we're not finished because you must have been in smash hits quite a lot, right? I have been in smash hits. Yeah. Did you ever do a, a thing called the biscuit tin? Yeah. Let me tell. Let me tell you what they did. I don't know. They had a biscuit tin full of silly questions. Yeah. And the. The object, the star, would pick out five or six and ask yeah. them. I'm yeah. going to do it to you because I've yeah. stolen it. Oh, so we haven't man, got a, we haven't got a, I am so excited. Yeah, we haven't got a tin. We've got a, we've got a beaver skin bag. Exactly. Is that real beaver skin? <laughs> it is. Wow, that's appalling. It's, we didn't kill it especially. It's just it's just uh, antique. Oh, was this trapped beaver or? Okay, I get to choose. I don't know, it's antique. And, wow. All right. Okay, here's the. Uh, here's, I've got two. We'll go one at a time. Do you have any hidden talents outside of music? Mm-hmm. Um, mm, what can I do? I, I studied Morris dancing, genuinely. Are you joking? No, no, no. Whilst I was Leeds, at Leeds, I, there were two elderly gentlemen at the university who had Morris dancing classes. Mm. They were quite a pair, let me <laughs> tell you. And they taught Morris dancing, and I attended the classes. Someone's writing a book, actually, about um, the punk, punk days at Leeds. And I was with him on Six Music recently, and he said, do you know what? Someone told me they saw you at the Sex Pistols gig, and you were wearing Morris Dancer's bells. Is there, is there any possibility that's true? I said, yes. There's every possibility that's true. I may have gone straight from a Morris Dancing lesson to see the pistols. To have your mind blown by the pistols. That's true. So that's one talent. Uh, will that do? Yeah. That's good. Go that's good. Second question. Second question. Stuff. What's your biggest regret? Oh, my God. That's a big one, isn't it? That's just... Really. Um, you can pass on any... Well, you know. Regrets. Actually, you know what? I really... I kind of... I'm tormented by my past. 
but I don't kind of regret any of it, if that makes sense. It, it keeps me awake at nights, but I don't regret it. Best city in the world? Cardiff. <laughs> Not really. Uh, uh, I do like Cardiff, actually. Yeah. Have you ever been down Chip Alley in I've Cardiff? Never been there's Chip a fantastic, Alley. there's an alley that just of fish and, of fish and chip shops. Yeah, and I've on a Friday it. and Saturday night, there is no better place to be. Um, you, well, nowadays, they will. If you ask for chips, they come with ch- melted cheese on them, uh, unless you ask them not to hold the cheese. Yeah. Chip Alley in Cardiff. <laughs> Come on. That's my, you know, that'll do. Yeah. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, four pieces of toast. Any spread? Uh, well, yeah, I did. I've got, um, um, I like the bread that's called Vogels. Which oh, yeah. Is German that. for, do you know it? That's, uh, that's German for uh, birds. And the German, you know, if you're crazy, the Germans say you have Vogels. <laughs> They go Vogels, <laughs> gesturing towards the head, right. which means you have birds in your head. <laughs> Unfortunately, there wasn't any Vogels in the supermarket, so I had to do with sunflower and pumpkin. Four slices, thank you. Next okay, question. keep going, yeah. All right, let's dig deep, because there's going to be a good one in here, <laughs> I think. This one, what have you got in your pockets or bag? Um, notebook, I've got my notebook. Which has got? Co- um, I mean, it doesn't really describe it, does it? Doesn't need me to describe. No, it? no, that, that notebook doesn't really cover it, though, does oh, it? Because it's, well, it's a, well, what is this? A ring, a ring-bound thing with color-coded. Color-coded. It's got sections on conceptual art, <laughs> on uh, the counterculture, my thoughts about the counterculture. What's funny about that? Doesn't everybody carry this round with them? And um, this, yeah, I've got lots. Of, I've got tons of these books. And uh, and um, what else Counter- is in this book? Counterculture, more counterculture in the post-war consensus. Really page, big, page that's really six. big. Then we get on to a postmodernism and uh, and music. Jesus, it's mm. there's a lot of that. The, yeah. Anything that's marked, you can see them he- marked with a big pink and a yeah. yellow. That's that the good stuff. It's a good thought. That's I a di- had. dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> so this and is green all- is just like. Okay. This is all going into my book one day. All uh, stuff. Well, that's, so that's they, they, that was famously you were writing a book, weren't you? Seen... What wasn't that? I still am. Yeah. I hope. Hello, Faber. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. coming. One more question. One more. Come on. All one, right. One let's, more. Let's, this has been a good, good laugh. Let's have a little rummage in the beaver bag. <laughs> <laughs> What's the one thing that would instantly improve your quality of life? Oh, gosh. Right now? Did we mean in the very, very short Yeah, why time? not? Yeah, let's keep it light. I fancy a glass of bison grass vodka. Do you know it? No, but I'd like it. to try it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's delicious. You know it, don't you? Bison grass? I think it's mainly, mainly made in Poland, and uh, the good stuff comes with a little sprig of bison grass which is a really uh, a real grass right. and it's got a picture of a bison on the label it's delicious i introduced that to robert palmer actually remember we were talking oh, about robert yeah, palmer come. and he loved it and uh yeah, really insisted did. on being supplied with it every time i saw him <laughs> and uh last time i spoke to robert palmer before he died he was i got a phone call and uh he was swimming with dolphins off the coast of somewhere in Australia, and yeah. he had, he had a port must have been one of those portable phones that were like a, 
a house, a house brick. Yeah. And it, it was it was Robert with a dolphin. God bless him. And uh, so a glass, raise a glass of uh, bison grass vodka to Robert Palmer. Thank you. Okay. Very much. Green, it's been a pleasure and honour to have you. Thanks, very Thank you so much for coming. Sorry for the incontinent waffle. Not at all. It's been a real honour to talk to you. All that remains is for me to thank our producer, Sue, and to thank all of you for listening. I just need to ask you one big favour, please. If you could rate us and subscribe to us on iTunes, that would be very, very, very much appreciated. It'll be the wind beneath our wings that we all need. We'll be back very soon with another episode. See you soon. I do want you to do one final thing. Yeah. Can you do a little indent for us? Do you mean an ident? I say indent, you say ident. Let's call the whole thing off. Where would you like to be indented? (laughs) That's another conversation. Uh, uh, Yeah. An indent, yeah. Tell me what to say and I'll write it down and then I'll say it. Q presents the making of. Q, is that all I have to say? Yeah, yeah. You can, you can sing it. You can sing it. Well, you can do it in a well, nice big valley. Well, I can do it in a Welsh accent. Big valley's voice. Do it in a big valley. And just keep repeating it. So just whatever comes to your mind, just just go on a roll. Well, no, I don't want to just, go on a roll. Yeah. <laughs> You're good at being on a roll. Well, I don't want to keep it in there. Being on a roll for no, one hour. I've been fucking boring you all shitless. What should I do now? Have some more beer, Ted. Cheers. Q presents the making of.